listening to the Citizens Church podcast. Citizens Church exists to saturate Bryan College Station, Texas with the good news and love of Jesus. To learn more about Citizens Church, visit us online at citizensbcs.com. Today's message is from Thad Normal. Our text uh, tonight is truly a uh, banner moment for the New Testament church, and uh, it comes from Acts 15, starting in verse 36, and we're told this, that sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Uh, They say to preach what you know, so here goes. Um, I am a preacher's kid. I watched my dad in ministry for decades, and I saw a lot of good, saw a lot of hard. I saw um, my dad be imperfect as a pastor, and that affect churches. I saw the imperfection of churches affect him and our family, Um, and there's a lot I I saw there that I thought, uh, no thanks, (laughs) and I really struggled not only with uh, what ultimately I felt like was a call of the Lord on my life to some kind of vocational ministry, but just how much I wanted to be a part of the church as a result of some of that stuff. Um, And then after I graduated from A&M, I moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I got involved in a church plant there. It was really beautiful. It was really pure. It was one of those things uh, that some of us have felt and experienced here in the last couple of years where you feel like we're kind of shedding some things that are unnecessary and and grabbing onto something that feels a little purer. And, um, and it was great for a few years. Uh, and then the two main elders, the two main leaders of that community reached a point where uh, they, were, they were dealing with some disagreements. And one day one of them came and said, hey, we're going to start another church, um, which meant we're going over here uh, and y'all need to go over there. Uh, And that was pretty disillusioning and discouraging. And so that was at the beginning of our marriage. And uh, we actually moved to Pennsylvania and uh, were really wrestling through what is church supposed to be and how do we sort of grab back onto that. And there was something happening back here in Bryan College Station that we felt like we were supposed to be a part of. So in 2004, we came back uh, with for me personally, a determination not to go down some of those roads that we'd seen in other places. And we had 15 really great years of deep life together with a group of people who um, we were really served well and loved by, who we served and loved. We went through truly 15 years of more births and weddings than I could possibly uh, recall, some significant deaths and some real losses. There was so much good and so much joy in that season of our life, but there was also lots of hard along the way. Um, And in 2019, the hard got too hard, and we were struggling. Uh, I was a pastor and an elder in that church, and we were struggling as a leadership group with collective vision. 
Uh, and we reached a point where what we were doing together wasn't working. And I'm going to skip a lot of details <laughs> that don't matter tonight. There was no soap opera. Uh, but we ultimately reached a point where Amy and I felt like the least disruptive thing we could do was to go. Um, and eventually some others uh, reached that conclusion as well. And some stayed. Um, and it was hard. And I want to be clear as I talk about our story um, that there were hurts and disappointments in that space in a lot of directions, um, but we still love those folks a lot, and we're grateful for the years that we had together, and I, as much as anything tonight, want to honor all of them uh, for their love for Jesus and for their love for us over the years, period. Many of them are still close friends. Some of them are in the room tonight, um, and some of the relationships in that space were altered for us in ways that still don't feel quite right. It's, it's weird to stand up in public and talk about it. It's the first time I've done this um, in the last two years. And we've continually asked and allowed others to ask us, uh, as much as it's up to us, have we done what we need to do to be at peace with everyone? And we've repeatedly hit, sort of hit the end of ourselves and said, this, this part of it is in the Lord's hands. There's nothing else that we can do. Um, and there are probably, not probably, there are a few others, um, not many, but people who really matter to us, who are kind of on the other side of that river, probably thinking and feeling the same things we are, and we haven't quite figured out how to build a bridge back to one another that's sturdy. Have you had that experience? Um, the whole story looked at as a whole story that I hope is incomplete, but the whole story so far uh, is really beautiful, and it's uh, really hard, to be completely honest. And so uh, in May, we met as a teaching team to sort of plan out 10 weeks of preaching through Acts, and I said out loud to those people, I will preach any passage in Acts except the end of Acts 15. Um, and uh, that we planned that way. Krista Merrill was supposed to be doing this, um, but they're on a trip. They had a chance to stop and see their son in El Paso, and she said, can somebody take it? And I was available. I didn't even look to see what the text was. I just said, sure, I can take it. Um, I'm preaching the week before, so I'm sure I can just put it all together, right? And then I looked and saw the text and thought, what have I done? Um, but after some prayer and conversation, I sensed that I wasn't supposed to run from this. And the reason uh, for that is that while our experience is fresh and it's hard in some ways um, that are unique and particular to us, our experience as people who have walked through disagreement and disappointment and hurt and frustration with our own weaknesses, with our own errors, with the weaknesses and errors of other people, with the disruption in shared relationships and shared ministry is not unique. We're not special in that way. Um, and I don't know where you're coming from. I know some of your stories. I don't know most of your stories. I do know this. This church is two years old. So unless you're new to town or new to the faith, you probably have experience in some other church in this community. And there's probably a story as to why you're in this room right now. It may be a good story. It may be a hard story. But either way, we all walk in the room with experience with these things in some way whether it's in the context of church specifically or just in the context of relationships, that it feels like we should be able to fix this. This shouldn't be so hard. 
And this has been true, as we see in this part of Acts 15, in the church from the jump. If you weren't here last week and you're not as familiar with Acts 15, just know that this happens right after they had this big council in Jerusalem to deal with a major disagreement in the church. And they resolved that. And it went well and they figured out a way to do that that was peaceful and that people actually were told when they received the results of that decision, celebrated, rejoiced, were glad to get that instruction. And so just after that, we have Paul and Barnabas setting out from that point to go back on mission to the churches and communities that they've actually been, been in before. Most of those churches, they started themselves and the backstory here is that John Mark, which is Mark who wrote the, the gospel of Mark, John Mark ducked out on a previous trip. We don't know exactly why. We just know that he did. It's clear that Paul wasn't happy about that. So Paul and Barnabas disagree over whether he's welcome to go on the next trip. And I don't know, we don't know if this is as big as Barnabas trying to appeal to Paul and say, Mark has repented and we need to restore him. Or if it's as simple as this, we know that Barnabas and John Mark are related. We think probably cousins. And so uh, it may be as simple as Barnabas saying, hey, look, Paul, you've got a mother. I've got a mother. I don't want to have to go back to my mother and explain to her why I wouldn't take my cousin John Mark on this trip. I don't know. We don't know exactly the nature of the disagreement. Either way, to me, it seems like a much smaller issue to try to resolve than what they just resolved in the Jerusalem Council. They dealt with this huge theological question over how the gospel of Jesus and the law interact, and they came to a resolution. And now these two guys who are truly fathers of the church at this point can't get on the same page about whether somebody else can come on the trip to the point that it separates them personally and in their ministry. For whatever reason, they can't access the gifts and and what they showed us already in the verses before about how to solve hard things. These guys have built churches together. They have led many to salvation. They've been run out of one city after another together. They've been physically abused and almost died together. Barnabas was there just in Acts 14 when Paul was stoned and everybody thought Paul was dead. Barnabas was there for that. These are the kinds of things they've been through together. And yet it all falls apart over a disagreement about whether Barnabas's cousin can hang with them as they go back to visit and encourage churches. It seems kind of crazy, but that's the way it goes sometimes, right? The hard things we somehow find our way through and then simple things become big things and we can't find our way through. I think this is the first, right? That somebody's had to preach over rain in this space. The temptation, uh, I trust y'all can hear me. I can't hear myself at this point. The temptation is to skip over this kind of moment or to whitewash it. But I think we kind of rip the guts out of the scriptures if we do that uh, with this kind of thing. Because I think one of the greatest gifts of the scriptures is its brutal honesty about the shortcomings and the screw-ups of even its biggest heroes, save one. That, for me anyway, over the long haul of my journey in the faith, is how I continue to cling and come back to the scriptures because it's honest about the hard things. 
So I don't want to skip over this. We talked about that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. When I realized what I'd done, we said, hey, what else could we do that night? And we could just skip to Acts 16 the next week. I don't want to do that uh, because I want us to deal with real quickly this question of where's God in all of this? What, what does God intend for us to see by allowing this to happen and by having it recorded for us to deal with for all time? Um, and I, I just want us to see, I'm going to be short, but I want us to see two quick things here tonight. And the first is exactly what I just referred to. There really are no heroes in this story except Jesus. And it's, it's essential, not just for our focus on Jesus, which I'm going to circle back to, but for other reasons, it's essential for us to remember that about one another, about the people who are in leadership in our churches and, and various spaces. They are not heroes. They are not less fallible than anybody else in the room ever. And... Uh, we struggle with that as much as we believe it, as much as we would write it down as what we think is true about this, we struggle in reality to not put people on a pedestal and expect more of them, either in relationships or in their leadership than we're intended to expect of them. And we see this all, of the, all the time, that there is sort of a loyalty that grows to certain leaders in a way that creates unreal expectations for them and creates unhealthy cultures around them. I started listening this week to a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which is about a church in Seattle, which if you weren't around 15 to 20 years ago, it was all the rage. It was, look at what's happening in the church, this new amazing thing. And a really toxic culture developed there, largely around loyalty to personalities and one personality in particular. Um, but we keep doing it. It fell apart. The whole thing, I mean, thousands and thousands, multiple sites to this church, and the whole thing ended with the implosion of one leader. But we keep doing it, no matter how many times we see it fall apart. I had a, a teacher in high school named Mr. Teague. Um, he was my accounting and computer teacher. If I, I wish I had time to convey to you what that meant uh, in 1991. Um, but uh, Mr. Teague was older. And in fact, our chemistry teacher, we felt was pretty old. And at some point he told us that Mr. Teague taught him in high school. And uh, Mr. Teague looked younger than him. He still did team roping and all kinds of rodeo stuff. Um, but so I tell you that to say he is of a different generation. And when we would make mistakes in accounting class, if he identified those mistakes as a mistake we had made before, this was his response. I've told you about the little moron, right? This is not a thing you can probably get away with in 2000. Uh, what year are we in? 2021. Um, but in 1991, 30 years ago, you could get away with it. And he would then proceed to give you like clinical definitions of moron, idiot, imbecile, having to do with how many times you would make the same mistake without learning to correct it. Um, and that was sort of funny to us then. Uh, the truth is, we're all capable of sliding into any one of those. I am at times capable of correcting a mistake after making it one time. I am other times finding myself 20 times in to the same mistake, still with Mr. Teague's voice in my head, thinking I'm the little moron and I can't seem to get this right. 
Uh, and Paul and Barnabas are no exception to this. Barnabas is really the mentor and a church father ahead of Paul here. But we know that even he got pulled into some errors. Even after what we saw last week, the correction of that theological error, we find out later from Paul that even Barnabas got lured back into an error over how the law and the gospel interact. We know that Paul wrote a whole lot of the Bible. Paul is probably the voice you hear when you're having arguments in your head over the things you're doing and whether they're right or wrong and what the scripture says about them. Paul is probably as often as not the voice you're hearing of the scriptures uh, trying to point you to what is right. But he flat out tells us that he's got some sort of besetting sin or sins that no matter how hard he tries, he can't fully shake. And he tells us that I want to do the thing I know I'm supposed to do. I can't make myself do it. I don't want to do the things I know I'm not supposed to do. And I find myself again and again doing them. In Romans 3, he quotes the Psalms reminding us that no one short of Jesus is righteous. There are no heroes in the story except Jesus. And we need to remember that. The second thing I want us to see in this passage is that Jesus, despite our failures and our shortcomings, Jesus is utterly undaunted. And the gospel and the kingdom are completely unthreatened by our disagreements and our disappointments. In Luke 1, an angel came to Mary to tell her that Jesus was coming, that she would give birth to him. And the angel said this, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. There's nothing you're going to do. There's nothing I'm going to do. There's no disagreement that we're going to have or failure to resolve a disagreement that threatens that. That's the Lord speaking through an angel about Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus tells us himself in John 16 that you're going to have all kinds of trouble in the world, but I have overcome that trouble. Later, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. The victory doesn't come by us orchestrating our own solutions and our own victories in this moment. It comes because it's secure and given to us by Jesus. What does that look like when we reach these moments that Paul and Barnabas look? reached, like the one they reached. Well, we know in that case, um, four people went two different directions with the message of the gospel and to care for the church, which essentially doubled the ground covered. That may feel like uh, we're just kind of whitewashing over what was wrong there. I think there was something wrong. I think they came up short by not being able to resolve this. And yet, the kingdom is forever. And so God, in that moment, now begins to act, and we have twice the ground being covered by them. I think if we were to all do sort of, if it was possible to do like an Ancestry.com or a 23andMe on our spiritual heritage, my guess is if all of us, if not all of us, almost all of us, um, despite the split and the error of Paul and Barnabas, all of us would eventually arrive at Paul or Barnabas toward the top of our spiritual family tree of how we came to faith. And that's true of millions of people over thousands of years. The Acts 15 fumble that we see here didn't change that. God still continued to work in the way that he works. For what it's worth, this doesn't always happen, and and I don't want to pretend like it does. 
But what we know later about this particular story and about these particular guys, in 1 Corinthians 9, we have Paul later commending the ministry of Barnabas in Philemon. Uh, Mark is back with Paul, ministering with him, and Paul calls him a fellow worker for the gospel. Uh, Paul writes a letter, 2 Timothy, Paul writes a letter to Timothy and asks Timothy, we have full circle moment, Paul actually asks Timothy, bring Mark to me, I want him here with me. Uh, because he's so valuable to me in the ministry. It happens. It doesn't always happen the way we want or when we want. So I don't know where you're coming from personally. You may have those kinds of specific disappointments or hurts in ministry, in in church experiences. You may um, have fled something that you actually should have fled. That happens. Uh, You may have fled something that you shouldn't have fled. That happens too. Um, it may not be church damage in particular, but, but as I said, some other sort of relational rupture with others um, that you've experienced. And certainly in the bigger picture, we see all kinds of fractures within the body of Christ when it comes to issues of belief and ethics and politics and justice and dozens of other significant dynamics of how we see the world that truly affect how we're able or not able to stand arm in arm together, moving into the kingdom together. That's the reality of the church in the world today. Those fractures are as big as I personally have ever seen them. And if you ask me if I can see pragmatic, like real life paths for people to get back on the same road in some of those spaces, my honest answer is no. I don't know how it happens. But God... Right, And I don't use that phrase in some sort of loose, abstract way. I mean it in a very particular way, centered on the meagerness of our failures in the shadow of resurrected King Jesus. Even if these stories that we've lived don't circle back completely in the way that we want them to, I'm praying ours will. You may be praying uh, that yours will. You may have given up hope that some of those stories will circle back completely. You may have avoided dealing with your own errors, and I don't want to walk away today without saying uh, that, that none of this is a shelter from biblical teaching about repentance and forgiveness and restoration. Those things put the beauty and the power of the gospel of Jesus on full display, and we should be longing for them, and we should be doing whatever is within our power to find them. None of this is to sidestep that. But we're not God, and we can't control other people, and we can't always mix up the right combination of words and overtures to make things right. So once we've done what is up to us, even if it doesn't come back around, here's the good news. It will come back around in the kingdom where all the sad things will come untrue. Because Jesus is able, whether we are able or not. And I think if we're faithful to continue to move toward Jesus ourselves and move toward his ways, I'm confident that we're going to find one day that he has drawn us all to himself where we'll discover that, oh, here we are. That's what we've been longing for. We're gathered safely in the same place again because we've all moved toward Jesus and he has drawn us all toward himself and we're free of unforgiveness and we're remade and restored by the power of the cross and his resurrection. That's out there. 
Jesus assured us in Luke 12 that if we seek his kingdom, all of these things that we worry about and long for will be added. All the stuff we need, all the stuff that is true and good and lovely and beautiful, those things are coming in his kingdom. So seek that when you can't control the rest. He then said right after that, don't be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The kingdom is not something that we can make happen ourselves. It's something we're given and it's not a gift that we can mute with our disagreements and our struggles. We're called to live in the way of the kingdom but the ultimate reality The ultimate victory of the kingdom doesn't depend on us. It's given to us by the Father in Jesus. And we can live confident that God is going to right all the wrongs and heal all the wounds. We can be confident even in the waiting, even in the midst of the wounding, that that's coming. The best expression of this, that one of my favorite expressions of this that I've ever come across is in the lyric of a song by Andrew Peterson called Don't You Want to Thank Someone? And he says it this way. And when the world is new again, and the children of the king are ancient in their youth again, maybe it's a better thing to be more than merely innocent, but to be broken than redeemed by love. Maybe this old world is bent, but it's waking up, and I'm waking up, because I can hear the voice of one, he's crying in the wilderness, make ready for the kingdom come. Don't you want to thank someone for this? Thanks for joining us today for the message. We hope it was encouraging to you. To learn more about Citizens Church, including gathering times and locations, or to give financial support, please visit citizensbcs.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Citizens Church podcast.